0: In the Ring with Eusebius Makaisa. At Stellenbosch University recently, a student, Tien Toy, had urinated on another student's desk and belongings. And this student, who was the victim of Tien Toy is a black student, Babalo Ndwayana. And you can imagine, once the video had surfaced of this action on Tienz's part, that it caused a national stir. It raised many questions, not just around ill-discipline, but also about acts of racism or apparent racism. Now, most recently, after a disciplinary committee hearing or inquiry into the matter, Stellenbosch University decided that, in fact, there were violations of various aspects of the student code of conduct And as a result of those violations, Tien Stetoy has now been expelled from Stellenbosch University. I decided to dissect some of the legal and ethical complexities that had arisen as a result of this whole incredibly odious matter. And so I'd written an article for TimesLive.co.za, Stellenbosch University versus Tien Stetoy Lawfare Retards Anti-Racism Project. And I will read that article for your benefit without any additional comment. If you'd like to be able to circulate it, obviously there's a link, as always, to the article itself in the blurb accompanying this podcast episode of In the Ring with Eusebius MacKaiser. Alternatively, you can go to timeslive.co.za and you'll be able to find a copy on the opinion and analysis section. Here is the article, read by myself, entitled Stellenbosch University vs. Tienst de Toy." Is Tienst de Toy a drunk who lacked control of his bodily functions and urinated on a fellow student's property? Or is he a white student who intentionally urinated on a black student's property motivated by racial superiority? The answer is... Yet to be settled with finality in various appeal forums will either reduce DeToy's shame or mark him as a racist, haunting him for decades. He was found guilty last week by the Central Disciplinary Committee of Stellenbosch University of violating several clauses in the disciplinary code for students and amended residence rules. The findings were deemed sufficiently serious. justify expulsion. The story is of national interest because it illuminates our ongoing and imperfect efforts to grapple with the twin histories of colonialism and apartheid. Let's state the putative facts before we dissect the central issues that flow from the horrible events. The toy apparently entered the room of Babalo Ndwayana without his permission in the early hours of May 15, 2022. This after a night of heavy drinking, which included about one and a half bottles of brandy by the toy over about seven hours. He at times blanked out while on the drinking spree with a friend. By 4.30 a.m. he was in Nduayana's room. Ndwayana was woken by the commotion of the toy's presence And switched on a light. He said he saw the toy in the far right corner urinating on his possessions. When asked by Ndwayana what he was doing there, the toy said that he was waiting for someone. Ndwayana also said the toy, after being asked why he was urinating, said, it's a white boy thing or this is what white boys do. During the CDC inquiry, it was found the words black boy were never uttered. There is a dispute about whether the word boy was hurled at Ndwayana. We can set aside that which is not disputed. The Toy and his legal representative accepted, and rightly so, that he violated the student and resident's codes of acceptable conduct from trespassing to disrespecting values, such as mutual respect and compassion, damaging physical property, and so on. They accepted he deserves severe punishment, including many hours of community service, perhaps, and even suspension from the university. They did not, however, accept the racism finding and think expulsion amounts to an educational, quote, death penalty. This raises a crisp set of questions. Did the toy commit a racist act? Did the CDC evaluate the facts properly? Is this process the best way to handle such issues? Drawing on D.T. Goldberg, the CDC defines racism as, and I quote, the irrational or prejudicial belief in or practice of differentiating population groups on the basis of their typical, phenomenal characteristics. And the hierarchical ordering of the racial groups so distinguished as superior or inferior. End of quote. The CDC noted the legacy of racism in our country is so potent it demands a zero tolerance approach. It links this view to constitutional jurisprudence that affirms the inherent self worth of every individual and every group within our country. This finds expression in the right to dignity, which cannot be limited. Correctly, the CDC stated, SU is no stranger to racism. It did so to further contextualize the commitment to respond to racism decisively with a view to, quote, making it clear SU will no longer be this final stronghold of an undesired culture, end of quote. The CDC's intention to root out racism, as well as its basic definition of what racism is and how it connects to the constitutional value of dignity, is praiseworthy. That is appropriate, in light of the legacies of anti-black racism in all institutions in our country, including universities. Institutions such as Stellenbosch University in particular have for too long been seen as belonging to white Afrikaans South Africans. Anyone else was deemed an outsider, a visitor, an alien. You cannot disrupt and dismantle this apartheid-era cultural hegemony unless you intentionally repurpose the institution to be genuinely just, inclusive, cosmopolitan and public in character. If racists feel safe being racist in spaces that license their racism, we will never repurpose our higher education sector to serve collective public interest. The CDC had the correct political and philosophical approach to this matter. However, it is also a quasi-legal forum, even if it's not a court of law. So did the CDC handle the issues from a process viewpoint fairly and cogently? Can it stave off endless legal challenges? Here, it gets tricky. The judgment is silent on what the committee members said about how they decided whether the toy addressed Noyana as boy. It seems there was a majority view. It is clumsy, however, to be opaque about the reasoning for such a critical factual finding. The judgment simply says the majority determined the word boy was, quote, stated. This leaves it open to the TOY's legal team to appeal the rationale for this finding. Except it would be silly for the TOY to do so because the CDC makes a bizarre finding about the alleged utterance of the word boy. It concluded the performance of such a speech act is not racist. The CDC, without much analysis, simply said young people no longer use the word boy, with racialized connotations, even in contexts where the word may otherwise be used to condescend to someone. Rather, the word is as innocuous, it said, as terms such as local boy and boiki. While well, the CDC is correct that boy as such is not racist, context, tone, and intention are necessary aspects of sociolinguistic analysis we'd need to delve into before confidently ascribing anything as damning as racism to a speaker. But what I find unsatisfying is not so much the conclusion of the CDC as such, but the lack of analytical sophistication and unconvincing haste with which it arrived at its non-racism outcome. Ask any black person whether boy is, as a default, devoid of racialized condescension, or outright racism, and almost no one will say yes. The word has a history in relations between blacks and whites in SA that travels alongside the more odious history of the K-word. It is the subtle cousin, but not so subtle to us as black people, of the K-word. The use of the word should be treated with greater sensitivity to racist intention than the CDC considered. One or two black students indifference to the word does not settle the matter of how to interpret the use of the word in an objective test of what it means to, or how it would be understood by, most bystanders. While it is unclear whether the toy uttered the word, if he did, he is lucky the committee hastily decided the use of this word in the context of essay history is devoid of racist linguistic poison. In an almost laughable twist of linguistic fate, the CDC still arrived at a conclusion of racism being present, but not for the reasons those who have not read the judgment might have guessed. The toy wasn't racist for calling Ndwayana boy. The toy wasn't racist for urinating on a black student's property. The toy, said the CDC, was racist because of the reason he gave for urinating. When he allegedly told Nduayana this is what white boys do. He was thereby expressing racial superiority and, quote, dominion over another person, end quote. And specifically treating, quote, people of color as the toilet for white men, end of quote. This is purely racist, the committee found, and, quote, assails the dignity of Mr. Ndwayana. Unfortunately, even if you are deeply committed to anti-racism, there are problems with the CDC's reasoning. How do you rule out interpreting the toy's words to simply mean white boys are in the habit of being entitled? Regardless of the race of the victim. After all, the toy was literally pissing in the dark until Ndwayana switched on the light. Nwayana's roommate is white and has a desk adjacent to his. This means the toy could have easily urinated on property belonging to his white mate because, quote, this is what white boys do. At that time of the morning, and having already blanked out several times, it takes monumental legal work to arrive at the conclusion the toy willfully set out to urinate in the dark on property belonging to one roommate and not the other. Yet, if it is arbitrary that the property urinated on belonged to the black roommate once the light was turned on, then imputing racist intention seems hasty, because it takes no account of what the toy was or was not thinking and doing at that moment. For many of us, it is distressing to imagine this event as not connected our potent history of anti-black racism but our reasonable social reading of the apparent sequence of events as recognizably racist does not mean the cdc has in terms of process hygiene done the work it needed to do to justify the racism conclusion where does all this leave us with a hot mess the toy would be imprudent to become too adversarial in response to this judgment, despite the analytical and process weaknesses of the CDC. In a country with deep racial wounds, in a city and region still synonymous with dispossessing black people of land and trampling on their dignity, you urinate on a poor black child's borrowed property and want to play victim? The toy is no victim. He has not even had the decency to face society and speak about what he did honestly and from the heart. As usual, a black victim is left to do the heavy lifting in public while the perpetrator is silent enveloped by legal protection. Tatori, by his own admission, was so drunk he had memory loss. Now, of course, it doesn't follow from that that inconsistencies In Nduayana's public statements cannot be explored and exploited by the toy's lawyer. But the law isn't everything. The toy has to repair a damaged reputation that will haunt him for a long time. If you drank such a huge amount of brandy that you blanked out, you cannot arrogantly contest the memory of a sober victim. The CDC, in my view, was progressive in determining The variations in some of Ndwayana's public utterances are non fatal. The early statements have a proximity to the time of the offense that makes it fair to accept Ndwayana's version as accurate. The trauma of having your dignity impaired cannot be expected to leave you emotionally and cognitively razor sharp. But all of this, however, is no reason to infer the victim must then be an unreliable witness. To toy must humble himself. The problem is, white children are used to second and third and fourth chances. They are used to getting the benefit of the doubt. They are used to being treated with kid gloves. They are used to being licensed to get away with impairing the dignity of others. An adversarial response to this judgment will betray the brute entitlement of the children of 1652 hegemony. The toy should seek forgiveness with necessary grace and humility and without expecting goodwill. Demonstrate publicly an appreciation of the gravity of what he did. Instead, he is bathing in the privilege of silence. His victim has no such luck. As for the CDC, it did half a job. It rightfully asserted how horrid racism is. It rightly insisted having black friends does not make a white student immune to racism. It rightly distinguished the judgment about moral character from evaluating actions on specific occasions. But then it applied these insights poorly to the facts. Stellenbosch University deserves more nuanced grappling with racialized terminology and phrases that have a peculiar essay history, such as the use of the word boy. It doesn't need to be preceded by black before it does racial work. Equally, you cannot infer racism too hastily, such as pegging it to a student's utterance that a racialized group he belongs to does certain things habitually, such as antisocial behavior like urinating on property. Not every unlawful action is inherently racist just because that day's victim is phenotypically black. Racism is a major scourge in our society, but we have to be clinical and robust in our analysis of what it is and what actions occasion it, as opposed to bigotry that is not racist. Tatoy might be a racist, but we probably cannot yet conclude that, based solely on this incident, horrid though it is. The CDC found him guilty, rightly so, of many clauses in the student code. However, it clearly didn't know how to settle the charge that most interests the public. It then missed an opportunity to be exemplary in weighing up moral, legal, and linguistic complexities. Ultimately, this noxious affair reminds me of an elementary truth I return to often in my work on racism that legal and quasi-legal processes are necessarily limited ways of tackling broken relations between racialized groups. The toy's intentions are irrelevant to the impact of his actions. They trigger memory of the trauma of anti-black racism. Winning legal arguments about evidence or intentions or bodily functions cannot be the right way to tackle the emotional reality that this saga made national headlines because of the symbolism and memory of our past it evoked. Stellenbosch University has to tackle the matter at that level of psychopolitical reality, rather than cloaking it in legalese and disciplinary committee frameworks. It is not too late to repurpose the institution, but that requires a recognition in the first instance that lawfare is an ineffective way to transcend the raw wounds of our racist past. Explicit and implicit racism, institutionally and interpersonally, requires our institutions to seek immersive and experiential learning methodologies to help them move towards an anti-racist reality. It is a long and arduous journey. It is necessary and worthwhile. We cannot let the remnants of colonialism remain intact.